For those of you that were at the park last week, was it not incredible? Beautiful. And so, yeah. So uh, it, it's a little precarious when you're a part of the decision-making process to decide whether or not to go to the park in light of the weather forecast. And you always kind of look for, well, you know, if it was decisively one way, then, you know, you can make it. So if it's only like 30% chance of rain, you know, you go forward. If it's like 60 70%, then you probably are choosing to not. And it kept staying between 48 and 51. That doesn't help. <laughs> it's like half the chance of being right and half the chance of being wrong. And so uh, you just have to trust that God is uh, going to, when you make that decision, that it's the right decision. And so far, the last few years, we've made the right decision, even though that was the first time in three years we were able to do everything uh, that we were planning to do. And so it was fun to be a part of that. And also to see several people uh, discover what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and giving themselves to that lordship, which is awesome. But uh, having said that, we are in the midst of a series called Anchored. And the theme of this comes out of Hebrews uh, chapter 6, where it says we have this hope that anchors our soul. And this hope is found in Jesus Christ. But often in life, we let things happen in our lives that can cause us to feel adrift. Where the storms of life, the challenges of life, relational issues, emotional issues can cause us to be hindered or uh, cause us to go into issues of depression or anxiety or stress or just simple relational brokenness. And we find that externally and internally, we are being driven by the storms of life, not being anchored with hope. And so we looked last week at what it looks like to have hopelessness. And that literally over the last uh, 20 years, we have seen the lifespan of Americans go down by a half percent every year. After decades of seeing the lifespan of Americans go up by 2% annually. And so you would think, okay, so what are the new diseases that are causing our lives to actually be shorter. The reality is, is that we're actually doing better with the sense of health-related deaths. It's in the issue of the increased suicidal rates and substance abuse-related deaths that have caused our lifespans to actually shrink. And they say the primary reason for this is due to hopelessness. And they even called it, a study from Princeton University called it a pandemic of hopelessness where our society is literally shrinking in age and lifespan because we do not have a sense of hope towards the future. You see, if you take hope out of a person's life, what motive is there to live the next day? If you feel hopelessness to extreme degrees, you will likely stop living. You might be alive, you might have a beating heart, but you have stopped living. And so there is a concern by those who have no sense of faith. They are just studying this, they're seeing this, this crazy statistic and data and, and being amazed by, by how hopelessness is causing such a, 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 an impact on society and our lives. 
The challenge is, is they don't offer answers. They don't offer answers. One of the reasons that hopelessness comes on is that as part of the American dream, we are driven to a place where we have a constant lack of contentment. And thus the pursuit of success at all costs cause us to be in such a frantic to succeed. Because we aren't content with where we're at. We look around and we see other people succeeding and doing well and getting bigger homes or nicer cars or they're getting the promotions at work. And so in the end of the day, they are working harder and faster hoping that they can succeed as well. The pressure is on. Those that are graduating are feeling the pressure of their next steps, of making decisions of what they're going to do next, because it's all about in American society, it's about what you do and how you succeed as to whether or not your life has value. The pressure is on. Have you felt it? If in your life, have you felt the pressure to succeed? Have you felt the pressure to avoid failure? Felt the pressure to keep up with those around you? You see, the result of caving to pressure and trying to run faster, but not necessarily better, has resulted in lives out of rhythm. We, we forego healthy rhythms of our lives and our lives and the way we live out our lifestyles, and we forego them so that we can succeed. But all these rhythms that we take on are often unsustainable. There's a cost. You see, God did not create you and I to live out our lives where we are constantly running and spinning the wheel. And when we're not succeeding, we run faster only to not be productive at all. In fact, less productive. And then ultimately, many people come to that hopeless end and they stop going forward. This is not the rhythm or pattern taught in Scripture. We're going to look at that today to see how God's values of how we're to live can cause us to actually have margin to produce well, not just to run faster, but rather better. So we're going to be, begin in Genesis chapter 2. So if you can turn your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 2. It's at the very beginning of the Word. If you need a Bible, the ushers would be glad to provide you one. Just simply put your hand up. And if you do not own a Bible... Please take this as a gift from us. So Genesis chapter 2 comes off of what was the most productive work week in the history of time. And some of you are thinking, yeah, but you haven't seen me work. <laughs> Literally, we're reading after the most we're going to read starting with day seven, but we will be reading post the most productive work week of all time. And when you consider what was in that week, it is mind-blowing what God produced in just six days. So here it is, just a synopsis of the first chapter of Genesis. He created 
day and night. All right, so it did not exist prior to that. Again, God's outside of time. He always was, always is, and always will be. So time was a, a starting point right here where he put it in, having pre-existed time. He create, creates day and night. Then he creates the sky. He creates the oceans and the seas. And when you think how vast the sky is and then how vast the sea, that's a lot of work. And then he created the plants and the trees. He created the sun, the moon, and the stars. He created the land creatures. And then he created mankind. That's a lot of work, but done quite well. In fact, God completed each day saying, this is good. But there's something unique that happens with the seventh day that I want to highlight, that after having such a productive week, that God does this seventh day in a manner that he wants you and I to take note of. So let's begin by reading this Genesis chapter 2 in the first three verses. It says this, the heavens, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day... God had finished the work he had been doing, so the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Let me stop there. So God rested day seven. Now the question becomes immediately when you hear that God rested, was God tired? Was God needing to have rest to be able to do the next day? No. So we're going to go into later why maybe God chose this. But let's look at the text very intimately and look at the key words. So in this day, God rested. He made this day a blessed day. He sa it says that on the seventh day when he finished the work, he rested from all his work and he blessed it. So what does this word blessing actually mean? So again, making sure that we understand completely what God is doing here. I, I was trying to understand in the Hebrew, because this was written in Hebrew, what the meaning of blessing was. So I go to our inner office Hebrew expert, Joel Lingenfelter, and he and I were geeking out in the Hebrew. What we discovered is that the word that is found in this in the Hebrew means blessing. <laughs> it was really strange when we're going through it. It was not able to find other words to give it. It literally is the only English term they can find to try to make sense of this Hebrew term. And, and so, but when you read the context of all the variations of blessing, what you can come to is that basically when God blessed this day, he esteemed it or he elevated it. In other words, it's going to have a higher regard in his mind than the other six days. So this seventh day, this blessed day, is esteemed and elevated and matters more to him than the others. It's, it's, it's unique. And that goes into the second word that we see, and that connects very well. And that's the word, he made it holy. And the word holy means set apart. So it is going to have a unique function 
that is to be set apart. It's not to behave in the same manner as the other six. So God elevates the day. He esteems the day, makes it more important than any, any other day. And he sets it apart in its function. It is going to be holy, pure, set apart, different from any other day. But then you see the word Sabbath as part of this. So it's not in this text, but the word Sabbath is what we overarch this. And we're going to go the, into that here in a moment in Exodus. But this word Sabbath, which is referring to this day, the label of this day, because that's the title he gave to it. The word Sabbath means to stop or to you're going in a particular direction and there's energy and you may still be going in the same direction, but you're going to stop for a period. The best example in our culture, especially in the realms of sports, would be called an intermission. The game is still in play. It's still going. We've done one half, but there's another half to go. So you're still going in the same direction, but you stop. The reason for stopping is that you need an opportunity to rest the body and to reconsider how you're going about the game. So in the same way, the, the theologians I looked at said, use this word intermission. There were several of them that used it in the same manner. That Sabbath is an opportunity for an intermission. We're living life yesterday. Today we're going to rest, but we intend to continue to live life tomorrow. So we stop, we rest the body, and we consider then how if we need to make adjustments going forward. You see, at the end of your Sabbath day, when the sun goes down, that's when you begin, according to Scripture, that's when you begin your preparation for the week coming. So you recalibrate to make sure that you're effective going forward. So God blesses this day. He makes it holy. So he's elevated it. He's caused it to be more important. Its function's going to be set apart and different from any other day. It's an opportunity to stop so that you can recalibrate knowing how to best go forward. Now, what we're not going to do is establish today which day is actually the Sabbath day. We're going to take our cue from Romans chapter 14, verse 5, where it says that, that, that for some people, certain days are more holy than another. So we're not going to argue today as to which day is the Sabbath day. But nonetheless, we are going to imprint upon us there is a godly rhythm established in working six and resting one so to affirm that we're going to go to exodus chapter 23 now keep in mind just don't want you to lose the context of why we're talking about sabbath today we have a society that is overworking itself it's causing this pressure to mean that people are imploding because they're spinning the wheel, they're running faster, not necessarily better. Because they bought into the idea that work trumps healthiness. Work trumps all other things. And it then causes ramifications across the board in our lives. And yet, that's not how even God himself functioned with the most productive week of all time. He chose to rest. So now let's look at what it says in Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 to 12. 
as to the function then, how we utilize and why it's utilized, the Sabbath rules. So he begins in verse 10. For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Verse 12. Six days you do your work, but on the seventh day do not work so that your ox and your donkey may rest, so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may also be refreshed. Okay, so you have a pattern of years in Sabbath, and you have a pattern of the week and rest. So let's look at the pattern of the years. In this text, he says, you should work your land, you should work your vineyard, and you should work your groves in a pattern of six years of good labor. But in the seventh year, let your grove, let your vineyard, and let your fields rest. All right? Now, what's interesting, if you let a field rest, because I, I knew farmers in, in the Midwest that would let their fields rest for a season, for an entire year. And during that year, you would know what was planted in the year before based on what came up in sporadic places in those fields. So if you planted corn in a season, and you'd worked the soil, and you planted corn and had a harvest of corn, if you did nothing to that field the next year, you'd still have some corn to come up. But yet the field, the, the soil, is thriving because it's getting a rest. What is interesting in this text is he says that one of the values of not only the soil getting better and being replenished and refreshed, but the poor still get their needs met and the wild creatures still get their needs met. Because look what he says. He says, so then the poor among your people may get food from it and the wild animals may eat what is left. So we're also then do that with the vineyard and the olive grove. So the vineyard's still going to have grapes in it, even though it's not being uh, worked over. And your groves are still going to have some level of fruit, even though they've not been trimmed or nurtured. It's still going to produce fruit, but yet it's going to meet the needs of those creatures that still rely upon it. But for you and the field, you're resting. So for the farmer or the vineyard worker or the grove worker, they're resting but the needs of others are still being met. What's interesting is that we have been practicing this as a pastoral staff due to the policies of LAFC. Now, I know that for some, they don't understand because most of you work in a secular environment that would not think of the idea of providing a Sabbath rest. That is strange to them. And as a result, for many people in this room, you think it's strange when we send a pastor off on sabbatical in the seventh year. My question is, is would you rather a pastor who toils till he has no more energy or emotions and therefore isn't very productive, or would you rather a replenished and a good shepherding pastor to return from that sabbatical? I guarantee you that when Dima returns, who is on sabbatical right now, you are going to see a different man. 
And that's a good thing. In fact, in a couple of texts that he sent in the last week or so, you can tell he's just downright giddy right now. And that's a good thing. We want that. And he is visiting other churches that have children's ministries so that he can see what they're doing, so that he can come back off his rest, recalibrated, and be much more effective. And by the way, while he's away, is any children not being ministered to? No. No child's being left behind just because Dima's away. I can tell you that the past year has been an intense year for the executive team at LAFC, of which I'm a part. And fortunately, I had a sabbatical coming into it. I've been able to operate clearly and then give opportunity for me to use some other gifts while I take on some of Pastor Joel's responsibilities. Because Joel is taking on the building project. So he's the one interfacing with all the construction workers. He does, he's been eligible for a sabbatical for a year. He's not going to get his for another year. But guess what? He's excited about it, <laughs> and he'll go into it high-fiving because the building will be done, Lord willing, and he'll go off, enjoy the three months, and we will say, thank you, Joel, for your hard work. And then he'll come back, recalibrate, because he'll take on his old roles once again. And that's healthy. That is healthy. That is better for our church. I recognize that, that for some, they don't care for it because... They wish they had it themselves. But that doesn't mean that we're wrong for taking it. Now, I know that may sound self-serving as one of the ones that have benefited from it, but you need to understand there is a godly principle in this that is so beneficial. And we should celebrate it when somebody has the opportunity to take it. So let's get off the years portion and onto what all of us can practice easily. And that is a weekly rhythm. It speaks to this idea that you work six and rest one. A day of rest once a week is good life maintenance. It means you can give yourself fully to what you're charged to do, knowing that you'll have an opportunity to rest. If you're gasping for air because you never rest, you're probably not working productively. And when it says here that when you take a rest, a work, a work day of rest, so you work six and you rest one, that not only do you benefit, but your donkey. I don't know if any of you have donkeys, but, but your animals or your servants, the co-workers, your workers underneath you benefit because they, as it says here, get refreshed. It's the end of verse 12. They are refreshed too by you choosing to rest. So everybody benefits if you have the opportunity to rest, those who are underneath your leadership. So then what happens then if this is true? This is God's pattern. Work six, rest one. If that's God's pattern, what happens if you choose differently? If you choose your own pattern? thinking that if I could work seven days, then I can accomplish a lot more. The problem is, is that might work for a season, but over time, pressure builds. Because God knows that it's not sustainable. In fact, in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus says this, The Sabbath 
was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So there's your answer. Did God need to rest on that seventh day? No. But he did so for the sake of you and I, knowing that what is sustainable for the creatures he's making in his image is that they work six, rest one. Make this day holy. Make this day blessed. Because then you can recalibrate and have renewed energy. This is meant to be beautiful. But if you take it away, pressure mounts and things begin to fall apart. To share a story to that fact, I've invited a couple of people to come up on stage, Tom and Roe Daly, to share their story of discovering the beauty of God's rhythms and rest. So would you welcome them up to the stage, please? So Tom and Roe, you you've been friends of ours for about five years. You've been a part of this church for about that length of time. And, uh, and you have a story to share that is going to make it, you quite vulnerable before our people because it's going to show that you're not the most perfect woman in the world oh. or perfect husband in the world. Uh, but yet, at the same time, I think your story is something that we can all relate to in some degree, and I think we can learn from. So having said that, let me begin with sharing, having you share your story of where you discovered that life's rhythms matter. Yeah. The beginning. Okay, yeah. So, um, we, we only have six days, in the yeah. Day, okay, the seventh day, we're gonna rest. Okay, yeah, we are. We need it. <laughs> we had a business that we uh, bought in 2000, and um, it was just a very successful business when we purchased it. It was always closed on Sundays, and so we kept that up. And all the way through 2007, which was seven years, it was quite successful. And then at the end of 2007, um, friends of ours who also owned a business, they wanted out of their business, and they had, uh, well, the men were chatting, and the next thing I know, we're taking on another business, and it's going to be uh, two locations. So just to give you an idea, we had 150 employees at one location, and this location that we're talking about, the second location, also going to have 150 people to manage and um, care for. And so... Um, that business was open seven days a week. And so we were going to divide and we were going to conquer. I was going to take on the new business. He was going to stay at the old business. And we were both going to be there on the seventh day at the one business, keeping the first business Sunday closed. Everybody got that. Well, let me tell you, um, within 12 months of doing that, things unraveled very, very quickly. The second location was... Um, it was unbearable. This, Sundays were the worst. Um, we only opened till 2 o'clock, but everybody comes after church, and everybody wants to be fed right away. And it, 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 just, it, was a, it was the craziest day of the week was Sunday working in the restaurant business. I wanted to put a, a little thing over the hostess station that said, what church did you come from? Like, be nice. <laughs> so it was... I actually said that to our customer once. Yes. So Sundays were tough. And, um, and then 08, as you know, that's when the financial, we had the first crash, the economy crash. Um, 08 was when my, one of my children got married. Oh, it, 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 so we unraveled. So by the end of 08, it was either get out of want the business. And her mother got sick and uh, suddenly and passed away in early January of 09. That so was we went January through that as 6th, well. So, yeah. yeah. 
So, so by the end of 08, if we weren't to get rid of one of the businesses, we were going to lose everything. Thankfully, the Lord allowed, because it was with a friend, uh, for us to close that business down, and now we're just going to concentrate our efforts at the second business, or the, our first business. Again, like he said, my mother passed away in January, so we closed that business. We had to lay off 150 people. That was horrible. Um, we go to the second business, and it's, gonna, it's struggling because now it is bearing the burden of the financial unraveling that we had with the first business. And so we were at that point still closed on Sundays. But through our great wisdom of our own, we decided to generate revenue in this economy. We're going to open on Sundays. So here we go again. So now we're at 2010. We're opening up on Sundays because surely that's going to help. Even though we know the crazy people come out on Sundays, we're still going to do it. We're, that would be uh, all of you folks, by the way. <laughs> no. We're going to open till 2, and we should be fine. Let me tell you, it's not fine. It is the most difficult thing to do. I, I became so tired that... And, when, and, I, and, I, and I say this, when, when someone says, I'm tired, but I can't sleep, something's wrong. When you're tired, you should be able to sleep. And if you're tired and you can't sleep, it's more than tired. It's an exhaustion. It's a pressure. It's your mind, you, when you are so tired, your mind is so foggy that you can't even think. And, and the only time you do think is when you lay your head down to sleep and then you start thinking of all the things you're supposed to do, all the things you're supposed to say, oh, I should have done this, I got to do that. It's horrible cycle to be in. And it causes, it's just awful. So we, keep going with that, right? So we, 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 we did that, it, that was 10, 11, 12. We, we did that all through till, till, till the next part of the story. And, and it is, it is a, it is a point, we, I'm sorry, to 08, we also stopped going to the church that we had been to for many, many years. So we were now homeless, church-wise, working endless hours with, with, and never, I was never sleeping. And it really didn't matter about church because we were so busy on Sundays, we really couldn't enjoy church anyway. Absolutely. So it was just kind of, yeah, it just kind of fell, fell off the radar. Endless cycle. And, you know, your kids will call you, can you babysit? And you're thinking, oh my gosh, are you kidding? Like babysit. We just worked 12 hours. Maybe he can go. Like you, you, you have nothing left, nothing. You don't have friends left because there's no time. When, when do you see them? You ask them to come to your restaurant and have lunch. So you're still working. You're still looking around. So obviously you were in a bad place and uh, God's a God of love and loved you guys in spite of yourselves. And there, so there was an intervention. So what was the turning point uh, that caused a shift. I'd love to tell you that I am just such a good Christian that I just listen to God, but that is not at all what happened. Um, not at all. I am not that child. Um, so I wish I were. Maybe one day I will become more that child. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Some of them know me. A, wor a work in progress, That's but it's a, a good work. A work in progress, yes. So it was, it all came to a head in uh, 2017 in, in, in November. And I just want to add, not only did we own a restaurant, we owned a bakery. And I think that's important to know because e each of those businesses have their own pressures. So in November, obviously it's Thanksgiving. And the bakery, you know, thousands of pies go out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So you're busy doing that and you're tired. And then Thursday, I mean, we feed 
11, 1,200 people between 11 and 4. Busy, busy, busy. You got to have it, you know, everything structured in order. You go to bed thinking, oh, I forgot, and you got to do There are the things that are going on. So Thursday came, and we've been doing Thanksgivings for years, and it, it, it goes wonderfully. This particular Thanksgiving, there was an issue in the kitchen with two staff members. And they were at each other, and they can't fall apart because I've got a thousand people out here that need to eat. So I jumped back there and tried to calmly deal with the situation. And I'm happy to report that that day I did good. They, they were calm and, and they got back to work and nobody, no, I didn't lose my temper and I was ready. So proud of myself. And we were on our way home, and she was like, I did, I'm so, I did proud. so good. This was like unbelievable. I did so. I, the I, Lord was in the kitchen. I know, I won. Like, I, I beat that test. How awesome for me. Then Friday was our Thanksgiving. 23 people were coming to our house. My family, my brother from out of town, my cousin from out of town. Tom's going to go to work. Tom goes to work, comes back. We have our dinner. Next day, Saturday. Saturday, we both got to work. I still have a house full of people, so I leave them at my house. I say, I'll be back by the afternoon. We go to work. We work all morning. We come back. We do lidits with our, with our family. Sunday, always on a Sunday. Sunday, we are both needed at work because it's a busy day. My guests go home, and we go to work. And I will tell you, the tired that I'm talking about this, these days our swollen hands, swollen feet, swollen eyeballs. You've, you've been there. You're that tired. It's, it, I remember saying to someone, like, pray for me. I'm so tired. They're like, well, everybody's tired. I'm like, it, it's more than the tired that, that the sleep does. So if you have a friend that says, I'm tired and I can't sleep, they, they need you to get involved. Yeah, they, they need you to step they up. They need an intervention. <laughs> so we're in the restaurant, and that same boy that from Thursday... He's starting up again. But this time, he's saying negative things about his boss, my husband. And he can't hear him. I can. And I hear it, and I hear it, and I feel the pressure. I feel it. It's coming. It. Lord have mercy. And, you know, where I'm standing in our restaurant, there's a big hole, and all of my customers are out there, and they are about to get a version of Hell's Kitchen. And... <laughs> It happened, and I lost control, and I banged the table, and I told him where to you know, go to the door, and I completely lost it. <sighs> Again. And so that day, our plan was be done at 2, go home, grocery shop, be done. We didn't get home till 5, and we fell asleep sitting up. I lost my testimony. I lost my temper. Again. It's not where I wanted to be at 50. It's not where you should be when you're 50, losing your temper again. It's just to grow out of that. It was, it, you, I failed again, failed again. So we go to sleep that night, and the next morning we wake up. And I wake up, I, I barely slept, but I woke up, I was crying. And when he woke up, I said to him, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. My kids saw it. My good friend, my, the one that was left, she saw it. I didn't know other people could see it, you know, as much, but I, I'm hearing that other people could see it in, you know, just how you look, because you look beat up. So I said to Tom, I said, I can't do this anymore. We have got to close on Sundays. 
And he said, you know, hon, the Lord's been tugging at my soul all week. And I've been this verse that keeps coming to my head over and over and over again. What do you profit? What can you profit? What can a man profit if he gains the whole world but loses loses his his soul? soul. And it wasn't just once. It was like a washer machine. It was over and over. I mean, I couldn't get away from it. And I'm not the most spiritual guy in the world. I mean, I love the Lord, but I'm not, you know, the Lord very rarely talks to me so clearly. And and losing your soul, that's that's what it was. We'd also lost each other because it's con- it's 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 not communicating, it's arguing or it, or nothing. Like the woman talks and the husband just and I would get mad at him. We he would go to bed at night, he could lay his head and snore. And I'd be like, How are you sleeping? Did you remember to do this, this, or and this? Like, she, how do you, and I would wake him up sometimes. I'm up. You might as well be up. Like, that's how it would she, go sometimes. She'd wait till about 3.30 and then ask me those questions. <laughs> Honey, I was just thinking, did you remember? I mean, that is really how we lived. And then we would have a customer from one location say, you know, what's going on over there? And then the, she'd call me, and then I'd call her say, what's going on over there? And it was it was. That bad. would, yeah. So. Since you've made the, some changes, because you closed on Sunday and some things happened, what have, what have you seen God do since you began to change your rhythm to being more like what he had intended? So the day that, he, that I woke up crying and he said that his soul, you know, we decided that day we're closing on Sundays. I didn't do a spreadsheet. I didn't look at a P&L. I didn't do anything. Now we're my closing. wife's a numbers gal. She has our budget out for three years. So we, so we took the most lucrative day in our schedule and closed it. We said, we're, so we went to work that day, and I figured if I tell everybody, we can't turn back. So I told all the staff, we're closing on Sundays. They were all like, oh, this is great. And, you know, by the way, when I opened on Sundays, I lost some good staff who didn't want to work on Sundays. And nothing makes you feel more guilty when you know you have some Christian staff that are, you're making work on Sundays in that they're on the schedule. And that's why us coming to church on Sundays was so hard because you know they're working, or if we did come, we get a buzz, you know, text. or It was never peaceful. So... We decided we're going to close on Sundays without any at all, no paperwork. Well, when that settled in, like a day later, Tom comes into the office and knocks on my office and he goes, hey, hon, just real quick, are we going to be okay? And I'll never forget that because I looked up. I still hadn't done a spreadsheet. I looked up and I said, you know what, Tom? If God's going to choose to have us lose everything, because we're closing on Sundays, so be it. Because I can't live like that anymore, so I don't care. So, and that's really where my head was. I didn't care. If, if, that's, if that was going to happen, let it happen. Because I can't do this anymore. So the first couple months were kind of scary. Weren't really sure. It's kind of like there were some miraculous things happening in the books. I am a numbers person. Numbers don't lie. They are there. They're not. And there were times they weren't there, and then they were, which didn't make sense. Um, <laughs> watching God provide and be faithful time and time and time and time again has been humbling. When you look and you say, there is no way I can do this. He goes, well, that's where I come in. I do it. And you're like, for real? Like, that happened? I sleep now. I was telling Tony this morning, I slept from 8 o'clock last night till 7 o'clock this morning. <laughs> I, I think we're that's that. That's awesome. Um, 
you I know, think we're the happiest two people on Sunday mornings. We just love getting up and coming to church, which yeah. wasn't always. It's such a privilege. I, I, and I said, you know, if you do nothing else the whole week that you are at home, if you don't read the Bible and you don't read, and that's the other thing, when you're reading with a foggy mind, you're reading the same page over and over again. But when you have a clear mind and you can, if you do nothing else, at least you get Sunday to come. you anorexic, but at least you're getting something on Sunday. And that has been, I, the first couple weeks we came, we were able to come back to church and not get a text and not be afraid to get in our car and not run out. It was, I would just cry because I was so hungry, so empty, like, and, and then so, it just was overwhelming to have the privilege to be able to come and, and hear the word of God uninterrupted. And even maybe go out to lunch, not at my place, but we can go to somebody else's after church and be nice people when we go. And, you know, I can do that now. I can make friends. I can get to know some of you. You know, I, I didn't, couldn't get to do that. I had no time for anybody before. And, and now I do. So, obviously, there are people that are in varying situations here in this room some of them they're doing the healthy rhythms but there are people that they're in relationship with that are not um as you look back what now can you see were the signs you were in trouble like what were the negative things that were going on that were harming you and hindering you uh now that you can look back and there's separation number one is i i for us is the, 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 the moment we separated to work, the reason we got to business together was because we work well together. So when we separated to work and our relationship started to really struggle, our we weren't communicating, we were too tired to communicate. Um, the, the, I think our relationship suffered, our relationship with, with everyone around us, although we didn't see it, and I didn't see how tired she was, you know, because I was in the middle of trying to figure it out, too, and there's a lot of pressures there. You know, it's not just your own personal pressures. You've got people that are counting on you to make the right decisions. You've got a banker that's knocking on your door expecting, you know, he needs to get his check on the end of the month, and so there was a lot of pressures there. Uh, so I, I think looking back, uh, to overextend yourself like that with the idea that you're going to you know, grow and, and be more, uh, you know, I, I think the lack of contentment and that lack of contentment spreads through all your relationships, not just us, the kids, the church, your friends, you know, you just, you just become another person. And when you know the Lord is your savior, which I have for a very long time, and I had a, have had seasons of fantastic relationship with him, this doesn't happen all at once. You don't wake up one day and be where I was. It's slow. And you don't see it happening. It, it, it's like with, with anything. You don't, you don't see it taking over your entire life. I still saw Jesus. He was a silhouette through the fog because the mind was so foggy that you didn't see anything clear. You couldn't. You weren't, it's, you're not capable when, when your mind is like that to, to see clarity in anything. And so you get stuck there. Thankfully, with the Lord, we're not stuck. And he provided us an extreme for this stubborn child that caused me to do, like I told you, I wish it was a spiritual thing. I wish I could be sitting here and saying, I just knew that if we would have closed on, the Lord was going to bless it. it. That's not how it happened. I was, in, I, was in, I was at the end. Would you guys give them a hand and say thank you for being vulnerable?
Thank you. Often we don't realize what we're missing when we go through uh, seasons like this and until you get on the other side. Now, again, I want to emphasize, this isn't about saying which day should be the Sabbath. Obviously, ideally, Sunday. But I know some of you are medical professionals. I don't want the medical professionals to not work on Sunday. <laughs> but have a healthy rotation of figuring out where to take that day off uh, along the way. And so, this is, please hear, this is about work six, rest one, is a healthy, godly rhythm. But let's conclude the teaching with the verse that impacted them. It's that verse found in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 36. And I'm just going to close there, and then we're going to enjoy something here together as a church family. But it says this in Mark chapter 8. It says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it then for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? So I have three statements that I believe can help guide you to a healthy pattern and rhythm of life. First of all, based on this text, is deny yourself and follow Jesus. The question that can help you know if you're doing that well or not is, who is leading your life and setting your values? Who is leading your life and setting your values? Number two, you must let go of the reins to truly gain. So in other words, who is in control then of your decisions? So if somebody's leading you and setting your values... Is it you or is it God? And ultimately, when you make the decision, who's in control of that decision? Is it you or God? And lastly, in light of that verse that impacted them, pursuing the wrong things can cost you everything. Pursuing the wrong things can cost you everything. And the question, again, make sure you're not going in that wrong direction, is will you respect what you have at the end when you look back and see what you have lost? Will you respect what you have gained by the life decisions you've made and all that's been accomplished? Will you respect it when you contrast it to that which you have actually lost? Notice that it's not necessarily meaning working more means better. God knew that at the beginning, which is why he said, I made Sabbath not for me or not for man for the Sabbath, but rather Sabbath was made for man so that man can rest and be productive and be in a good place relationally, emotionally, and yes, spiritually. It's at this point that we're going to come to the table together. And I'm going to pray, and as I'm praying, would those who are going to help serve communion come forward?
Jesus, it is, I, I would say that there's many different seasons in my life where I applied my own values, I was driving my own bus, and I was making my own decisions. And the reality is, is it cost me a lot. And it humbles you. And Lord, I can honestly say that the seasons of my life where I can say you were definitely at the reins and my values were aligned with the values you placed, that my life was at peace. Because I had proper rest, I had proper perspective, and I had calibrated appropriately by the leading of your spirit. So God, I just ask that if there are those who are struggling with these issues here in this room, or they're friends of those, or related to those who are struggling with these issues, that they would then pray for them or pray for themselves, and then encourage by sowing seeds into, of truth into those situations and relationships, whether it be for themselves or someone else. God, you know best. You create us. You made us as a model of you. And you know how we work and how we function. And the owner's manual says, rest. Help us to believe you enough to let you lead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. That when our lives are hurried, when our lives are stressed, when there's anxiety that is riddling through us, that we can be confident that your peace can transform us. Lord, increase our faith that we may know that your ways are better than ours, that we would trust in your leadership, not ours, and then surrender to your values, not ours. Drive the bus of our lives. Take the reins, O oh Lord. And may we find rest in you when we apply those values to the way we live. And Jesus, it's your name I pray. Amen.